Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Today is going to be a little different than usual because I'm intrigued and I hope you will be intrigued as well. I have a question. What can we learn from an unbridled spirit ruled only by love? I love that phrase. I'm going to ask the author where that came from. We are going to explore a powerful story of death and dying, a remarkable life tragically cut short by brain cancer, yet a life that teaches unflinching courage, creative inspiration, and perhaps a healing, a healing power so universal that it redefines love itself and how we show up in the world and for each other. The intimate details of grace, beauty, and strength amidst the process of death, loss, and grief can teach us all how to live our best lives. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce our guest, Keith E. Smith. Keith is a nomadic writer from Kentucky, and nomadic to him means he's choosing no home right now as he travels around and gathers stories and has a fascinating life. I'm, I'm going to ask him about that as well. He's the author of six books, including his most recent book, Born from His Travels Through the Texas Panhandle. It's entitled Nowhere Near the Middle, The Life Story of Valerie Dozier. So, I'm excited to bring a different kind of show to you today and welcome Keith. So it's really great to have you here, Keith. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Julie. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I am almost like in this speechless place as I hold this book and hold this story because I want to be so reverent to the life and the essence and the, the really the pure love and spirit that really exudes from your words in every page about this beautiful person. But first, Keith, I do have a traditional first question here on my show, and it's always good to ground our conversation in this larger meme of connection, and I'm just curious how you might respond to this can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? You know, that's that's actually a very pertinent question to the conversation we're about to have. And it's it's something that we hear often. You know, people always talk about everything's connected, but it's not often that someone will ask you what it means to you. And this is certainly the first time it's ever been asked of me. So excellent question. You know, we live in an age where we're connected in so many ways that past generations would have never dreamed of, but we actually seem 
or it seems on the surface, we're actually more separate than ever. And, you know, it's, that's really a myth. It, it seems like we're separate, but really we cannot be separate. You know, we've been taught this from an early age, most all of us, that we're separate from nature, that what we do for work is viewed as separate from the rest of our life, that the things we love and uh, to do and enjoy are viewed as separate from our you know, quote-unquote responsibilities. And this perspective has really been around for so long that it's, uh, it's, concept- it's accepted as normal. It's just the way it is. It's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always going to be. And, you know, we were sold that from previous generations because it was sold to them. And if we don't view things differently now, then the next generation will feel exactly the same. So I know you've interviewed people like Bruce Lipton and Dr. Joe Dispenza. And I really come to my viewpoint the long way around, meaning I'm very much self-educated. But people like those gentlemen I just mentioned, um, I've read their their stuff. And I've, and I've really come from that school of thought to where I really believe everything comes down to energy and it permeates everything that we cannot be separate from it and you know we're born of the earth we're a part of it you know we often refer to nature as something outside of ourselves somewhere we go we want to want to enjoy the outdoors but it's actually the very essence of life it's the 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 power of the source that brought all that into being is what brought me into being is what brought you into being so to me it's uh, it's, it's really a myth, this, this myth of separation, and it's a dangerous myth because it creates division. And so to me, uh, this is a rabbit hole I guess I could go down with forever because it's it's never-ending. There's just no way we can all be separated. We're all from the same source, and we create systems of thinking and habitual ways of thinking that separate us, whether it be you religion, different paths of spirituality or whatever, uh, political affiliations, we create all these reasons to divide ourselves, which creates nothing but conflict. And that's why we have the conflict, because we have bought into this myth of separation. That's probably a long answer. Does that, does that kind of give you an idea of where I'm coming from? Yeah, it is perfect, Keith. Thank you. And, you know, I think that 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 philosophy, that mindset that that you're referring to does come through your writing, which is exciting. And and it's coming mm. through your how you choose to live your life right now as well. So I look forward to learning more about you. So so before you introduce us to Valerie, let's do that. Introduce us to you and your story, particularly how the book came to be. You were visiting the Texas Panhandle and became captivated by the essence and influence of this person named Valerie Dozier. And so so share with our listeners your personal journey and why and how you wrote this book. Absolutely. Happy to do so. Really, in some ways, you could almost call it an accident, though I don't really believe that, but just for lack of a better word, how it came about. I was already... In June of 2019 is when I began my nomadic journeys, when I sold the last of my possessions, quit a job, and and basically threw what was left in the car and hit the road. At that time, I was doing a lot of ghostwriting for a particular book writing company based in the Texas area, and I got hooked up with them, and we did a lot of traveling from here to there. In the summer of 2019, I ended up in the San Juan mountain range of Colorado. 
and we stayed for a couple of months in a cabin there doing some writing and we were returning to texas by way of uh, new mexico then the texas panhandle and this is where i'm talking about it being an accident because we were traveling late at night we were very tired we were looking for an airbnb and i'm not sure how many of your listeners have been to the texas panhandle but there's not really a lot there it's dotted with a few small towns a large town in that area would be 5,000 people or so. So it's a whole lot of just the high plains, not much there. But we did find an Airbnb in a small town that none of us have ever, ever heard of before called Vega, Texas. So we come through to Vega, Texas. It's pitch dark. It's late at night. And we entered our Airbnb. At that point, we didn't even know we were on Route 66 until we got into the Airbnb and saw some brochures because – we were just tired. We had no idea where we were. None of us had ever been there before. So we were exhausted. We decided to go to sleep, and we'd look around some the next morning. The next morning, we did just that. We got up. Uh, me and a young man, just actually a teenager, like 16 years old, so we'd go out and do some exploring while everyone else was kind of sleeping in. So we did. We walked outside the Airbnb, very, very typical small Texas town, the High Plains, it's uh, actually the county seat of Oldham County, Texas. So there was a courthouse right directly across the street. Historical, we went across the street to look at that. We noticed an old Magnolia gas station, a remnant from the you know the heyday of Route 66. So we walked another block down to look at the Magnolia gas station. And that's when I noticed across the street, across the highway, was this beautiful mural painted on the side of a building. And I just had to go over there and look at it. So we walked across the highway to the old building, and I was taking in this mural and made my way to the front of the building. And that's when uh, a very sweet lady walked out on the front of the what turned out to be a museum. We didn't even know it was a museum until this lady walked out. We saw the title above the, uh, by the door of the Milburn Price Cultural Museum, and she gave us, offered to give us a tour of the museum. So we did. We went through the museum. We're looking at all the artifacts, all the cool stuff from the history of uh, life in the Panhandle. And she took us into a secondary building, and this is when everything changed. Now, keep in mind, I had had an entire summer of new experiences. I had been blue-collar all my life for the most part. I've had a few white-collar jobs, but just working, working, working until 2019 when I went on the road. So I'd had a whole summer of unique uh, brand new experiences for me. And this was just one more, right? I just like, I'm just going to enjoy this. I'll leave town and we'll see what's next. But everything changed when we entered that second building. The lady who was giving us the tour, her name was Karen Kahn. Her and her husband run the museum. And Karen paused outside the door of the, of the secondary building before we entered and said, now when we go in here, uh, this is a kind of a work in progress, but you're going to see a mural painted inside here. And it's a tribute mural to a young lady from here, which was Vega, Texas, by the name of Valerie Dozier. And she just gave us a quick rundown. She said she died very young, just before her 31st birthday of an aggressive brain tumor. But she helped paint the murals. There are several murals around Vega, Texas. The one that drew me into the museum was one, one mural that she helped paint. So already the draw was there. I just didn't know why yet. So when we entered the secondary building, sure enough, we entered and looked at some different displays that were under under construction. But when I saw the mural on the wall, and I can't explain this, but I've, I've seen artwork, I've seen other murals, but when I saw this mural, this young lady on the wall, and read the little plaque that was next to it, it just, 
something gripped me and I had not experienced this. Now, of all the incredible experiences I'd had that year, this was something different. And it's like everything else kind of faded to the background. And, you know, it sounds very cliche. I don't have any other words to describe it other than it was very much like an, a spiritual experience to where it, in that moment, I just knew that I had to learn everything that I could about about this young lady. And I had no no, no reason to feel that way, really. I mean, I had no understanding why I was feeling that way, but in the, in the moment, I didn't even question it. So I, I got all the information I could in the few moments that were – and I was the only one filming this, by the way. I mean, the curators certainly had a, a personal connection because they knew this young lady. But otherwise, this experience was mine. So we finished our tour and left the building, and I parted ways with my writer companions, and I made my way to West Texas where I have a daughter who's living there currently. And all the way there, I could not get this off my mind. But once I got to West Texas, it was like I was there for a week or so, and those intense feelings kind of subsided as I got involved with my grandchildren and my daughter. About a week later, though, they came back in force. So I said, okay, I need to write something about this. So I wrote a blog post about it on my blog. And keep in mind, I'm, I'm low level in the world of writing as far as I'm a drop in the big ocean. I'm not highly well known. I have a following, but it's relatively small. But after I wrote this blog post, and I tagged the museum because I borrowed some of their pictures for the blog post, my blog post blew up with comments. And this had not ever happened before. I was getting comments from all around the country from people that knew Valerie personally. Her parents, who had been divorced for many years, both reached out to me separately. I was getting emails, and I was just like, oh, my God, what have I, what have I stumbled upon here? But it also validated to me the feeling that I had experienced back in the museum back in Vega, Texas. So fast forward a year later, this is a story that would not leave me. It just kept haunting me and kept haunting me until one time I was communicating with her mother via Facebook. And she proposed the phrase to me that maybe Valerie chose you to write her story. And that floored me because I really didn't think I was the writer for the job. I'd never written a book like that before, but I couldn't escape it. So I just pushed all those doubts away. And I just determined that I wasn't hired. You understand what I mean? I wasn't hired to write the story. I do a lot of ghostwriting. No one pressured, no one suggested other than just that one phrase and maybe she chose and it just rang true to me. And I felt that maybe, yes, Valerie did choose me. And this is a story that needs to get out because the way she lived her life, the way she faced death is a message of all the time in the history of the world in my lifetime. Now more than ever, the message of her life is needed. So that's when I undertook the process of writing her story. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that, and thanks. This just gives us a small glimpse of this magnificent, magnificent spirit in this life of Valerie. Can you share more about Valerie and who was this unbridled spirit ruled only by love? You wrote that on the back of this book. I'm wondering where that phrase comes from as well. Well, you know, I talked about – I know how – sometimes hokey and cliche these things sound, but the deeper I go, the more I find myself talking this way. <laughs> so basically, I talked about when I first 
saw that mural in the museum. It was like a spiritual experience. Well, over the next year, as I wrote this book, I had several of those. And that's where that phrase came from, the one you just asked me about, an unbridled spirit ruled only by love. I got why well, I would do a lot of meditation. I was being hosted kindly by a sweet lady in Vega, Texas named Deborah Sue McDonald, who had a room built into her garage, like a sweet little Airbnb type room. And she let me stay there for like five or six months while I finished this book for free. Because this is the impact this young lady had on this entire town. So that phrase came to me one time and I was in deep, deep meditation on Valerie. And I hadn't even been given some personal effects of Valerie's, like a scarf and some other little things that I kept in the room with me as I would do writing. And I was holding that scarf oftentimes when things like that would come to me. And ironically, and I don't know if this is connected, but in my mind, it felt like it was. After I had made that decision that that was going to be part of the description of the book, an unbridled spirit ruled only by love, I was walking outside, just kind of walking and meditating. And I'm from Kentucky, and I walked by my car, and of course, there's a license plate on the back of my car, and Kentucky's slogan is unbridled spirit. So I don't know, that was just an odd moment for me. It doesn't carry the impact when I say it out loud, but it was, a, it was another connecting of the dots. But the reason why I say she was an unbridled spirit ruled by love, she was basically an anomaly. And this is something that is well known amongst her friends and family because I spent the next year researching researching this this young lady. Uh, many people who have read the book assumed that I knew her or I had met her in person, but uh, she passed away three plus years before I ever knew Vega Texas even existed. But I think the reason why people get that feeling is because of the deep connection I made with the spirit of Valerie. The way in which she lived her life, which in some ways mirrors my own, but she operated at a level that I'm still reaching for. And when I say she's an anomaly, I mean she lives in a very – grew up in a very small town, a very conservative area of the United States. But she – from everybody, from her brother to her father to her mother to her friends, it did not matter what level of relationship person I interviewed that I talked to about this young lady – I got the same consistent message always. This lady was immediately accepting of every human being that she came in contact with. It did not matter who you were, where you're from, your race, your religion, your sexual orientation, nothing. Nothing mattered to her. Everyone that I talked to said, when I talked to Valerie, she made me feel like I was important, like I was the only person in the world, and that she really cared about what I was saying. And I began to understand that that wasn't an accident and that wasn't an act. This is literally who she was. In that moment, you were the most important person in the world to her. You know, I love the way you opened your show talking about the illusion of separation and the infinite field of possibility. And I don't know why, and I can't explain it, but it seems like Valerie Dozier just never had that illusion of separation from the get-go, and, and no one can really answer why that is, from her brother to her mother to, to those closest to her to her father. No one can really explain this was just who she is, and this was the reputation she had, and she could, could make friends and talk herself out of some – because she's gotten involved in some wild situations a couple of times, and if you uh, have read the book in the back, there's some cool stories 
from her friends and her own words, and you'll notice a consistent message. She could uh, talk herself out of some amazing situations, mm-hmm. and she was a spirit of love. And and she she and it was intentional. She knew what she was doing. I was able to talk to her husband, who uh, is from the UK, currently living in the, in the United States, but um, he still suffers a lot of pain from 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 her passing. But he shared so much that about her that gave me keen insights that she would practice these things. It was very intentional. It's like she was already this way, but it still wasn't enough. She was going to take it as deep and as far as she could go. Even when delivered the worst news that anyone could possibly get, right? That you're going to die and that there's no hope. She still decided in that moment that what she was going to do was do her best to be an inspiration for the rest of her life, however brief that may have been. And an inspiration, an inspiration she was, to say the very least. Mm. So, Keith, um, this is a good introduction, and I know there's so much depth to all of who she was and how she lived. We're going to dig into a little bit more of that after the break. But first, um, before we take a break, tell us a about the title. There's a quote from Valerie that meant so much to her and the one she loved. Can you share more about the title? Absolutely. I just felt like it was the perfect title, the nowhere near the middle, because Valerie had a quote, and I don't want to get it wrong. I'm flipping through the book right now, but... um, I have it in front of me. Oh, Uh, yeah. Let me read it for you. Yeah. Yes, please. because I'm going to ask you about a quote on that very same page later. Okay. So okay. her quote was, do not sway my sweet, sweet soul. Do not sway. Do not find yourself anywhere near the middle. You know, I tear up. Even now when I hear that. You know, there several of her friends actually had that tattooed on their bodies because it meant so much to them. But when I was... You know, anyone who's written a book, and I know that you have, two of the hardest things to decide about a book is oftentimes the blur that you put on the back cover and the title. <laughs> you think after writing a whole book, those things would be easy. But as you probably know yourself, there can be some of the most challenging. But in this case, it just it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And it, at one point, I thought about doing the new not sway, but, you know, I thought her message clearly, because to her, being anywhere near the middle was a life lived not trying it was a life of mediocrity and if there's any word that could be further away from describing the life of valerie it would be being mediocre because she was anything and everything but so it was the perfect title because nowhere in valerie's life from her childhood and she was a wild child as 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 a little kid all the way to her last breath on this earth in her physical form she never lived a moment in the middle. She never lived mediocre. So to me, it was the title just, it was there and it just demanded to be used. Wonderful. We're talking with Keith Smith. He's the author of Nowhere Near the Middle, The Life Story of Valerie Dozier. And I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to explore more of this life and death and the beautiful 
meaning and messages that we make of this beautiful soul named Valerie. We'll be right back. Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Wildfires burn millions of acres across the country each year. And each year, wildland firefighters battle to contain them. But they can't do it alone. For some communities, it's not a question of if wildfires strike, but when. And a single ember can travel more than one mile. As it twists and turns and floats through the air, that single ember can find its way to where you live and can ignite and destroy your home or your community. That single ember can be just as dangerous as the wildfire itself. You can't control where the ember will land, but you can control what happens when it does. You can take action now to prepare your home and your community for wildfire. Get fire adapted. Learn what you can do now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. Prepare, protect, prevail. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org. Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right. A group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, couch purring, bed leaping, and of course, companionship. Wonderful. And what breed would you say Nico is? I'd have to go with a tabbyish Persian kind of mix. Tremendous cat. I'd also like to point out her coat's wonderful mix of colors. Is it black, gray, gray, black, brown? Somewhere in between. Indeed. You know, it's always special when we get to see a cat like this. Just look how she struts. It's like she owns the place. And how she's so incredibly cute in her indifference to commands. A strong-willed feline. Ah, and see how she curls up and cuddles her person. The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. I know. Fantastic cat. Fantastic indeed. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit the shelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. I'm John, a volunteer at United Way. I'm here at Lincoln Elementary School to find out what this place needs. Who knows better about what kids need than kids, right? Let's ask them. Monsters! Lasers! A pool! Another guinea pig! More lasers! Sprinkles! I was thinking more spinach at lunchtime and maybe more exercise. Nah. Nuh-uh. Lasers are cool. When it comes to creating healthier communities, what this place needs is you. To donate or volunteer, go to unitedway.org. Because great things happen when we live united. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And on the leading edge of personal, social, and global transformation, I invite you 
to be a way shower, a change agent, and make connections that inspire and accelerate our collective awakening and planetary healing. Stay connected every week with my newsletter where you'll find not only these shows and announcing what's happening with the Dr. Julie show, but also meaningful content, opportunities, opportunities to work with me, and further inspiration. You can sign up for my email at juliecrawlemail.com. Again, that's juliecrawlemail.com. And you can find our guest today, Keith Smith, at straightupliving.com. That's the name of his blog, and it's got tons of inspiration as well, straightupliving.com. So, Keith, like you mentioned, the timing of this book and this message is perfect. We are living in interesting times, and there's so much hurting in the world. It was also a a really peculiar timing for me. So I have a confession to make, Keith. I want to share something personal and profound with you. So through the recommendation of our beautiful and wise mutual friend, Virginia, thank you, Virginia, I agreed to receive your book. And so it was sent, it was mailed, I received the book, and then simultaneously, almost, I I think within days of receiving it, I got COVID, which took me out for several weeks. So Mm -hmm. what I never told you though, Keith, was that for the next two and a half months, I was in the intimate, active death and dying process of a beloved family member. So I don't know if I would have been able to clearly read and receive the message of Valerie's life during that time. Yet, this is the peculiar part, which is really fascinating because so many things happened once I read this book. When I spoke at my brother-in-law's funeral, I said that he had the stuff that great books and movies are made of. His Mm. remarkable life really parallels that of Valerie's in so many ways. So when I finally picked up this book, I was moved so deeply. And your uncanny way of telling Valerie's story was extraordinary. What What I was most touched by was how you wrote in first person. Yeah, and I experienced such a visceral response. I hope the listeners are, are listening to this piece because I encourage you to go get the book. I experienced a visceral response when Valerie speaks from her semi-comatose state and then literally moves into her death. It, it was mm-hmm. brilliant, genius. Keith, You can you share more of your wisdom here where did the inspiration come from to number one speak in first person but to continue with valerie's voice beyond consciousness beyond her journal entries the weaving of her voice and her words was extraordinary first of all thank you so much and let me offer my sincere condolences on behalf of your brother-in-law and in your family. Uh, you're right, I did not know that you were dealing with that. And I got goosebumps as you were sharing that because, well, I don't pretend to be able to explain how and why things happen. And I don't always buy, definitely always buy into the phrase, you know, everything happens for a reason. I don't, almost don't like that phrase. But still, that said, isn't it amazing how things can work out to where 
uh, you were delayed in reading the book, but the reasons why you de were delayed really probably opened you up more to the message of the book. I just found that mm -hmm. fascinating. I got goosebumps while you were sharing that. You know, the first person thing is uh, it's incredible. And I didn't really share in the preface of the book why I, why I chose that. It when I first took on this book, remember I told you that at first I really felt like, you know, I'm confident. You know, I know I'm not, I'm not the world's best writer. I know I'm not the world's worst writer. I've uh, self-taught. I've worked hard at it. I've ghostwritten a bunch of books, and I'm getting better and better with each thing that I put out. But when this book came along, this story came along, I had never written anything like this. Even in the dozens of books I had written for this book writing company that created books for NFL players, NBA players, high-level CEOs, and all that. I had never written a book like this, and at first I was intimidated and really doubted and even told uh, her mother that, you know, I don't know that I'm the writer for the job. I really don't. But I guess in some ways, uh, and take this however you will, but I don't think Valerie accepted that. I don't think she cared. <laughs> and I took it on. And I just decided, you know what? I have got this far in my life, this nomadic journey and stuff like that. By when a fear pops up, I just run directly into it. I don't try to hide from it anymore. Oftentimes, I don't even ask questions. It pops up. And sometimes it's almost like an indicator of the direction in which I need to move. Oh, look, I'm scared of this. I probably need to go that way. So that's um, – I'm not advising everyone to do that. I'm just saying that's kind of the philosophy that I've been operating with. So when I took this book on, I had no idea how to start. I was just really struggled with that. And I have three daughters, and they're adult daughters, and they're wise, incredible women fiercely independent and very intelligent. And I would talk to them about it at length. And somewhere along the way, I was just sitting alone, I think in a coffee shop actually, where I spend a lot of time. This is uh, before COVID hit, so you could actually still sit in a coffee shop. Literally like a month and a half before uh, COVID became a thing. And it just popped into my mind that Valerie should tell her own story because who else can tell it? You know, and some people would maybe scoff at that because, I mean, she's no longer with us, so how can she tell her story? Again, the myth of separation, right? Mm -hmm. You're assuming that she's all, all, no longer with us. Maybe she still is. Energy doesn't go away. It just changes. It just changes. So that's my belief. So when it came upon me, ironically, where I doubted myself in the beginning about writing a book like this, when that phrase popped into my mind that Valerie needs to tell her own story, I didn't even question it. I was like, okay, yeah, of course, this is how it's going to be done. I didn't even think twice about it, which is incredible when I look back on it because I was really intimidated about starting this book. I literally had no idea how to start this book, how to do any kind of memoir type of book. But I did not doubt that phrase at all. But I made sure the entire time the process of creating this book that I was extremely respectful and reverent of the family closest to her, namely her father, her mother, and her brother. The friends and everything too, of course, but especially mom, dad, and the brother. Um, so I ran the idea past the mother, whom I've really communicated with a lot when I had agreed that I was going to tell this story. And I said, her name's Deanne. Her name's on the front of the cover of the book there. I said, Deanne. I have an idea. I'm thinking Valerie needs to tell her own story. I'm thinking about writing this in the first person. And to her credit, she also didn't question it. She said, okay, let's try it. 
So I, I began the book in that way, starting with her early years, with the information that I had been gathering from both her mother and other sources. And I wrote several pages. Uh, in fact, I think I actually wrote the, uh, the prologue first. And I sent that to her. Actually, you know what? I wrote, uh, I bookended it. Really, I wrote the prologue and the epilogue before I wrote anything else. And then I wrote everything in the middle later. And I sent her those, and she was just floored. Absolutely floored. She goes, yes, this is the way it needs to be done. And and if you've read the book, you know that after Valerie's passing, for the, the longest time, her mother had multiple visions of Valerie in her in her sleep, very detailed, very specific visions of Valerie. So I really was tuned into and wanting to hear what Deanne would think about the idea, and she absolutely loved it. So we went with it. And during the whole year of me writing this book, I would write chapters, I'd write pieces, and I would send them to, to people to read, to kind of get feedback, people who were close to her. And I cannot tell you how many times her mother would I would send her something in email and she would call me and go, Keith, oh, my God. Who told you that she said this? It would be like a phrase or something she would say to someone. I said, Deanne, she goes, I don't know nobody. I just I just it just comes to me as I'm writing. You know what I mean? It's like I don't when my fingers are on the keys is when this stuff is coming to me. And she goes, well, the way you word that is exactly the way she used to talk. And one remark was even a remark she had made to one of her cousins. She said, who told you that she said that to him? I said, no one. I've never met or talked to the cousin either. And I still haven't to this day. She said she used to tell him that all the time. And that, that type of thing happened countless times during the process of writing this book. And each time was the confirmation that Valerie was indeed telling her story. And uh, I was more or less the conduit. Hmm. It is powerful. It is powerful. The essence of her voice. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all right there. And th there are so many lessons that emerge gently through the pages and the words. Some are really obvious and apparent mm -hmm. in her conversations and teachings. And yet others are covert, woven through this, like the space between the lines. So thank you for bringing this this wellspring of beauty and wisdom forward and you mentioned the epilogue there's a wonderful metaphor in the epilogue that's where i got that quote from the title as well that i want to read i'd love to okay. hear you expand on valerie's idea you did read her journals and some of her writings so you yes. you had a framework but then you just channeled the essence of her through but she had yes. this idea that cancer wasn't her it was an experience. I want to read this because I think it also gives the the readers or our listeners here um, the essence of the writing itself. You wrote or Valerie wrote, there's more to life than what you've imagined. If your conscious experience of life were a movie theater, you'd probably be so absorbed with the movie that you'd forget the person sitting in the chair watching the movie. When you make that subtle shift in awareness, realizing that experiences in life aren't who you are, but rather you are the one witnessing the experiences, everything changes. Mm -hmm. When I was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, I was devastated. It would have been easy to give in to that, to be angry and rage against the unfairness of it, but the cancer wasn't me. It was an experience. 
It was the movie. I was not the body dying of cancer, nor was I the mind that no longer functioned correctly. I was the one watching it all happen. Make no mistake, I had a few meltdowns in the months following my diagnosis, but in the end, I learned to embrace it all for what it was, an experience. Can you say more about that? Well, you know, if I'm going to answer you much like I would answer, answer Deanne many times. Uh, that's not actually a quote from her, like directly from her journals or anything, but it is like, a, like you said, a philosophy that I stitched and wove together from all of the information that I gathered from her, as well as my own personal inner experience with her energy. And I was just looking at her life and looking at the way she faced everything, and I was trying to grasp how was she looking at this? How could she do this? I mean, I'm pretty strong mentally, pretty strong psychologically. I have a pretty good resilience, but I don't know how I would respond had I been given the news that she did. Yet there it was right in front of me. It was it literally played out in front of the world. She was very active on social media, even during all this time. And I thought, you know, it's almost like it's almost like it wasn't real. It's almost like it was a movie. And she knew it was, and in the end, it was all going to be okay. And that kind of – that thought is what kind of sparked the seed of the, of the two paragraphs that you just read. And I think she realized that what she was experiencing was not fun. She didn't like it. She didn't enjoy it, any of that. But I think she was able to transcend. This is something that we – you know, you, we throw that word around a lot. But to be able to transcend death and when you know it's coming. You know it's on the way, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. She was able to transcend that knowledge and still be alive. Does that make sense? She was. Mm-hmm. She had such a grasp on life that nothing could break that grasp, not death, not sadness, because she knew it was just one more thing she was experiencing. Just like love is a wonderful thing that she experienced. It was an experience. And death, too. It was just a doorway. It was just a doorway. I think she understood that. And when I began to try to describe that, the words you read is is what came out. Mm. She was a highly creative person, too. I just want to acknowledge that. I don't know if we've said that yet. But what are some of the other more hidden lessons that you've learned from Valerie and this experience in this book? What are, what are some of the lessons for our listeners? Exactly this. And this is something that um, I think one reason why I connected so much with her is she's multi-talented. Obviously, she, she was a fantastic singer. She wrote songs. She created a children's book character called Chika Maniki, which she passed that torch to her mother. Her mother now writes those books. You can go to chikimaniki.com and find those coloring books and stories. It was all Valerie's concept. But she was um, – Creative in all these ways, she did not limit herself. She didn't recognize limitations insofar as if she wanted to sing, well, she sang. If she wanted to paint, then she painted. And she was an incredible artist. Um, her artwork is still out there. Um, besides murals, she created like arts on canvas, and you can even purchase these things to this day. But she did not accept those limitations. And it wasn't like, like with me, I spent a lot of my 
time of my life, especially the last probably 10 years of seeking out limitations and then overcoming them. To her, it's like almost she didn't even get it that, give it that much credit to begin with. If she came upon something, she just flowed into it. And I think what the lesson I learned from her so much is don't even give the energy to the limitations. Live your life and be all that you can be. And don't hold back. Because if there's anything that would describe her to me, for sure, is she never held back. She didn't hold back her feelings of love um, or, or, like, or, or anger. If she was upset about something, she let you know. Now, she wasn't a jerk about it, but she did not cover up or bottle up her feelings. Good, bad, and ugly. She lived very transparently and very openly. And this is something that I've been intentionally trying to do in my life for the last several years and something that people have noticed because they've told me so. And But she did it, Valerie did it on a level that showed me that, you know, I still have more learning to do. And I knew that, but now like I have a direction. I want to emulate these traits. I want people to know that I think that they're important when I'm listening to them. And that's what she would do. She would listen. And I think about this a lot when I'm interacting with people to this day. One of the chief things that uh, stuck out to me, and I, I'm a talker. I like to talk. People, we get into conversations. I love to have conversations. But what she was known for was listening. When you were saying your piece, she would sit there and not say a word and absorb every word with her full attention and then respond when you were done. I could go on and on and on about little traits like that that are really, really big things that helps destroy those separations between me and someone else or me and my environment. And all of that very much took root in my heart. And I just want to, I just want to nurture those things and see them grow. I want to impact people and leave them feeling like she did. Mm. Well, I think, you're succeeding at that. I think you're doing an amazing job. And one Thank of my, you so you're welcome. My, one of my favorite quotes I had, I, I highlighted a couple really beautiful quotes. I'm going to close the show, the show with one, but one of my favorites was when she says, funny, isn't it? How even with death approaching the desire to create goes on. I think it's how life expresses itself, and it's a way to reveal that dying isn't the end. It's just a change from this to that. I love, yes. you know, as yes. a creative person myself, um, that just feels delightful. I love, I love that quote. And mm -hmm. she was a highly creative person. So I want to, I want to just give pause for a moment to the presence that. Um, in the back of the book, there are links of how you can find her art, her music. There's a song that you can download. There's there's a lot. But there's also voices of others. There's voices of many of her family and friends writing. Tell me about why, how you included those in the book. Because it's a... Um, again, it's a beautiful tribute to her, but it does kind of like corroborate the story in your writing. You you said it perfectly. I was 
in contact with many people. And I would get lists of names, uh, like from her mother and other people, of people to contact. And I was sending out messages and emails, you name it, trying to get as much information about Valerie as possible, because I wanted it to be as well-rounded as possible. I didn't want to get just, now her mother was a primary source and she worked so hard, relived every memory so much that I insisted her name be on the cover of the book because she worked so hard on this story. But there are many people who contributed and I was getting all these stories and they were just so wonderful. And the way the book was being written, I couldn't necessarily put the entire story I was getting from someone in the book. I thought, you know what? These people have such a keen insight into Valerie, and I wish people could just read it in their own words. And again, it hit me. It's like, bam, in their own words. These people need to tell their version of Valerie. So people will know that, because naturally there, would be, there were some skeptics, right? I, I, would, I even got a couple of messages early on. It's like, why, do you, why are you writing this book in the first person? Why did you write this book in the first person? You didn't know Valerie. And I totally get that, and I totally understand that. So I felt for many reasons that everyone should be allowed to tell their own story about Valerie. So I purposely started sending out more messages asking for that. So, look, I want you to just say something. I want you to share something about Valerie. It could be any story. It could be a memory, something that just illustrates who she is and who she was to you. And I want to put those in the book. And that's what I did. And I think it was definitely the right thing to do because, like you said, it it not only corroborates the story you know, that I had written, but it gives you much more depth because you can see, do you notice how everyone basically felt like they were her best friend on the face of the planet? That's how she made everyone feel. Now that, who can say that? I mean, that is, that is, that is doing something right there. When you make that many people, basically everyone in your life make, make them feel like they were the most important then I mean, I am without words. So yeah, I just I just had to include had to include their their side of things in the book for sure. Mm. It it works. Um, I didn't know what to expect, and it was kind of this little surprise. I didn't want the story to end mm. where it did, and with her death. And so then I thought, well, oh, you know, like it, it was like this pause moment. But the epilogue takes us right into those other voices, and it and it mm. and it works. So yeah, thanks. So saying that, I you know I I've looked up cheeky maniki. I've got those in my um, awesome. uh, on the way coming from my grandbabies. Oh, awesome! <laughs> I can't wait to to receive them. And I also um, have my own takeaways like I said this it did move me and um, I don't know if I could ever write about my brother-in-law in first person like you did it, it was it was so well done and and very authentic it, it doesn't it doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel like you it feels it feels like it's her voice um, so What's next? We have about three minutes left, Keith. What's next for you, author Keith Smith? What's next for you? Hmm. Where do you go from here? You know, that's exactly the question I asked. I had put so much energy into Valerie's book that when it was done, 
and I was like just waiting for it to be go live on on Amazon and stuff like that. I literally sat down and thought, what am I going to do now? You know, I have all these like most people who write. I have I have to live to be 300 years old to get all the books in me that I want out out. So that's probably not going to happen. So I have to be really intentional about what I'm going to put out there. I do have other books. Uh, I did put out one book of poem and prose. I put out two books within a year. One of them was Valerie's books. Another was a, a work of poems and prose, which I've got a lot of great feedback on. I want to do another one of those. I've already started uh, with some pieces that's going to go in that. But I'm also, I have people all the time asking me how to approach life the way I do. Not so much nomadically, but to be able to just go for it and overcome fears and things like that. So I'm really kind of moving into kind of a mentoring type thing. I haven't really officially started it yet. I'm putting some feelers out there because I've had a lot of people reach out to me because, you know, I use my work. Uh, I've been called a dream igniter. That's not, it wasn't my term, but uh, I've kind of latched onto it. I like it, but I kind of use it as a gateway to go right back to what we talked about separation earlier. I kind of use my, my work as a dream igniter to, as a gateway to take people deeper into themselves so they can peel back those layers of their own being and just get to that place where they see the connectedness to everything, which goes right back into Valerie's story. I want to pour what I've learned into other people so they can maybe skip some of those trials that I went through to get there. So for sure, I've got more writing I want to do. I have a fiction sequel I need to write that I wrote five years ago that I have lots of people after me to write that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I have lots of work to do. But for sure, I want to continue to pour into the lives of people. That's my life's mission is to just – I think it all comes down to serve, right? I can serve my environment. I can serve the planet. I can serve others. Now, I think that's where meaning and purpose comes from, and that will always be my primary focus. So I definitely will be looking for every way in which I can do that. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, it does come through your poetry. It does come through this book. It, it comes through your blog and – one of my takeaways from Valerie is to to go bold, to live bigger, and you know to play and create more. I'm I'm moved, I'm inspired, and I I thank you for for sharing mm. her life with all of us in such an intimate and and beautiful way. So thanks for joining me, Keith. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share about this book and this wonderful person yeah and thank you virginia for recommending it and i want to leave yes, listeners. Yes. yeah isn't yeah thanks virginia right yay <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i want to leave you with the words of valerie through the writing of keith what meant the most to me in my darkest moments was love that's it just love love doesn't need to be dressed up labeled or confined to one path or system Love is enough all by itself because love is all that matters. Ask yourself what you can do to help rather than what you can correct. And you will find that love and acts of love are the answers. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.